In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Lordship, dear Father Rector, dear fathers, dear brothers, dear sisters, dear seminarians and faithful, and dear Father Mwangi. When a new face arrives at the seminary from some far-off land, we professors wonder what are his capabilities and what are his chances of surviving the long, hard road to the priesthood. As you know, that road can be six, seven, and sometimes, in, in the case of Father Mwangi, even eight years to get to ordination. When Father Mwangi arrived here in March of 2011, I remember having a conversation with him that I think in retrospect was for me a sign that he might have what it takes to make it to the end. It was, I can't remember the exact details of, of, the, uh, of the day, but I believe it was one of the first Sundays that he was here and we had decided to drive to the park in Terrago in order to have a game. And I asked the Mr. Mwangi at the time if he was interested in going. And he said, yes, you know, I plan to be there. And then there was a big smile on his face and he said, one thing that I like about myself is that I'm always up for everything. Now this uh, may seem to be a very ordinary quality in a young man to be up for everything and perhaps even a dangerous quality, but in fact it's not only helpful that seminarians and priests be up for everything, it's often quite necessary. It's a veritable requirement. One thing that a seminarian certainly has to be up for is to be docile one of the most essential requirements for someone who's going to be formed. Docility is precisely about submitting to the will of another, being up for what that other wants. And we certainly don't want our future priests to be setting restrictions on the obedience that they give. We don't want them saying, for instance, I'm up for assignments in hot countries, but not in cold countries. I'm up for an assignment in Mexico, but not the United States. You can make me a teacher, but please don't make me an accountant, or whatever it may be. As Father Mwangi said yesterday, he doesn't yet know where he's going. He knows, though, that it's going to be somewhere in the world. <laughs> but he's ready. Precisely what we want to see in a seminarian is a perfect willingness to do as he is directed, no matter what he is asked. And if this is what he meant by being up for, for everything, then it was certainly needed in Father Mwangi, and it was a, an essential condition for his success at the seminary. But as you know, docility does not just concern obedience to one's superiors. At a more profound level, being up for everything means submission to the providence of God in everything. And the quote-unquote problem with the providence of God is that we often do not know exactly what God wants in many things. We know what we want, and we often set our heart on getting what we want. And there's perhaps a general rule that we can make as far as our submission to the will of God, or at least our willingness to be up for what God wants for us. 
And that is, the more that we have a desire to have our own wishes fulfilled, then to that degree are we less up for the everything that God wants for us in this life. In the very act of fixing our wishes, of making our wishes very concrete, of investing our emotions in them, we make ourselves to be up for only one thing, that thing we desire. We're sort of isolating a single outcome for the future and making ourselves willing to accept that outcome alone. And of course, we have to do this for many important things in our lives. We have to, certainly the most important thing for us in all of our desires is to fix our hearts on saving our own souls. We must not be up for everything in, in that instance, certainly not. Um, and if we came across someone and asked him what he's, what's going to happen to him after it, he dies, he, and, and he just says, well, I really don't know, but I'm, I'm up for everything, <laughs> we would find that person to be very unwise indeed. But if being up for everything means willing to submit to whatever God's providence arranges for us, then this is very far from being a bad disposition. And rather, as I say, it's even a necessary disposition for our seminarians, our future priests. Consider how much adjustments are needed on the part of a seminarian coming to the seminary for the first time. The seminary is not at all like a university. It's not at all like working at a job. Many, many more adjustments are required of a young man when he comes to the seminary than when he starts his job or when he enters uni. Because the time at the seminary is a time of formation, it's necessary that the life here be one that is very disciplined. There is a strict schedule for every single day. There are periods of silence. There are periods of talking. But the periods of silence far outweigh the periods of talking. They're much longer and they're much more common than the periods of talking. All of this concerns the question of time. Most people in this world are used to having a wide measure of freedom in their use of time. And at the seminary, this freedom is taken away. And that can be a very difficult adjustment for someone entering the seminary's doors. The candidate certainly has to be up to having his time strictly regulated. But all this is not just a question of time. It's also a question of the use that is made of one's time when one is here. That, too, is already determined. Not just that there are certain times, but what you'll be doing in those times. Seminarian has to go to bed at 10 p.m. Seminarian has to rise at 6 a.m. He must pray from 6.30 to 8 in the morning. He has to eat when it is time to eat. He has to stay at the table eating until the bell rings. He has to clean dishes or set tables. He has to recreate with his fellow seminarians. He has to study or go to class when the recreation is done. And he has to be up for all of these things. If he does not feel like doing them when the time comes to do them, he must at least be up to doing them. And what he's supposed to accomplish over this time in the seminarian is to give his heart more and more to precisely what the rule is dictating. Obviously, all of these things require a very great docility on the part of a seminarian if he is to persevere for 
the six, seven, or eight years at the seminary. But this docility, this willingness to be up for everything is all the greater if the seminary that you attend is not in your own country. I think we're all aware that Father Mwangi is from Kenya and that Kenya is in Africa. And in Africa is very, very far away from Australia. I've never been to Africa myself, but I strongly suspect that the way that things are done in Africa are very, very different from the way that things are done here in Australia. Different languages are spoken there, different customs are observed, different clothing is worn, different food is eaten in, in Africa, from what I hear. And so, if you're coming to do your seminary formation here in Australia, when your native land is in Africa, you have to be up for much, much more than having your time and your use of time regulated. You have to be willing to adjust to a whole other world and remain there for years on end without seeing your family. If I recall correctly, in these eight years, uh, Father Mwangi has only been home twice during his seminary formation. And as you know, he had to sacrifice the attendance of his family, not only at the reception of his orders yesterday, but every single one of his steps that he took on his way to the priesthood, his family was not able to be there because of the extreme distances. How much sacrifice and detachment does this not demand from a seminarian? When your seminary is in your home country, you tend to think of an assignment overseas as kind of a remote possibility, and then you might be jolted out of that illusion some years into your priesthood. But when you attend seminary in another country, going to the seminary is like your first overseas assignment. As you know, that is the way it is for most of our seminarians here at Holy Cross. Their first overseas assignment is when they travel here to take up their seminary formation. And this makes a very great demand on their being up for everythingness. In Father Mwangi's case, his being up for everythingness was put to an even further test when, in the course of his formation, he was asked to go to the Philippines to, for a teaching uh, apostolate there. And now, as we know, he's arraying the providence of God for his very first assignment as a priest. Through all of these adjustments, through all of these necessities to set aside one's own desires and accept the desires of one's superiors, to accept what we know is also the desire of God's own providence, Father Mwangi has persevered. What might have been a boyish adventuresomeness when he first got here has been used and elevated to a willing and prudential submission to the will of God himself. That submission came at a cost, but its fruits for him have been very great indeed. It required the mortification of his will, an abandonment where he didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but he left everything in the hands of God. Especially during that time, as we know, the submission to the providence of God often means most this willingness to carry our daily cross, to take up our cross after our Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer the deprivation of human consolations, to force oneself to do difficult things, to attain an end 
that we know is good, and sometimes in this case, that is extremely good, a supreme good. If there's anything that conforms a seminarian to Christ, it is precisely this setting aside of one's own will in order to do the will of our Father in heaven. Yesterday, as I say, we witnessed the fruits of, God, of Father Mwangi's years of docility and perseverance. He was given by his lordship a participation in the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He became a living instrument for the sanctification of souls, for this great work of leading souls to the submission of God in all things. And now, dear Father, that you are a priest, you're going to have to be up for everything. You're going to need all of that docility to divine providence that you've practiced in the past eight years and even more. You've been conformed to Christ in your formation. You've been conformed to Christ in your ordination. Now you have to live that conformity in the fullest way possible as another Christ. Now is really the time at the beginning of your priesthood to offer yourself completely to God, leaving to his care and to his plans whatever he wants for you as a priest in the years to come, accepting today in advance both the joys and the crosses of your life as a priest. Now is the time for you to pray that beautiful prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Receive, O Lord, my entire liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my whole will. All that I am and all that I possess, you have given me. I surrender it all to thee to be disposed according to thy will. Now is the time for you to imitate the little flower, St. Therese, who, in order to express her perfect willingness to be up for everything that God wanted for her, took a blank sheet of paper, and at the bottom of that blank sheet, she signed her name, and she gave that blank piece of paper to God, and she said, this is my contract with you. You write on this piece of paper whatever you want, and I commit myself to it. God will certainly be directing the events of your life as a priest, and you have to be up for whatever that may be. You have to be up for perhaps an elderly faithful taking ill in the middle of the night and being on the point of death. You have to be up for someone entering the confessional and saying that he hasn't confessed in 20 years. You have to be up for your immediate superior telling you that he has a new task that he wants to entrust to you, whether it be some teaching or doing a mission run, preaching a retreat, leading a pilgrimage, running a boys' camp, or whatever it may be. All of the many, many things that a priest is expected to do in the course of his priestly ministry. You will be up for doing these things. You will be able to do these things because of the grace of the priesthood that is in your soul. Because God has bound himself to give you all the graces that you need for, to fulfill your duty of state. But also because of that disposition of docility in your heart, that disposition that you fostered through all of your time of your formation at the seminary. But dear Father, you will especially be up for everything that the priesthood will throw at you because of two things, your Mass and your Mother in Heaven. Today is the day of your first Mass. This will be the first 
and the primary joy of your priesthood, that each day for the rest of your life, you will be getting up, you will be up in that day in order to celebrate your Mass. It is in the Mass that we, as priests, reach our closest conformity to our Lord Jesus Christ. As His Lordship mentioned yesterday in His sermon, this sacramental sacrifice is different from the rest of the sacraments for the priest. In the rest of the sacraments, we perform the actions of Christ. But in the Mass, we are Christ sacramentally. We are the person of Christ sacramentally in the Mass. We are the very person of Christ. And that is what makes the Mass the supreme joy for the priest, the fact that he is able to conform himself most completely to Christ at that moment of the consecration. It is our daily Mass that assists us to be ever more perfect instruments of our Heavenly Father, to be ever more willing to follow the divine providence in all that we do for the sanctification of our souls and that of others. At Mass, your being up for everythingness will increase your docility to the will of God. Each day, you will call down our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven, and he will obey your call. You will hold him in your hands. You will offer him to the Heavenly Father. You will receive him into your soul, and you will communicate him to the faithful. Nothing can possibly draw you closer to the will of God than your daily Mass celebrated well. But it is also, as I say, your mother in heaven, Our Lady, who will draw you closer to the Father and to the Son during the course of your priesthood. You are consecrated to her. But yesterday, by your ordination, you became even dearer to Our Lady because you became a priest. As you know, she is the spiritual mother of, all, of us all. We priests, we, we take a vow of celibacy. We vow ourselves to be separate from women during the course of our life in order to be more pure, to offer the sacrifice at the altar. But that does not mean in any way that we get rid of all feminine influence in our lives. On the contrary, priests are able to be closer to the mother of God than anyone else. And that relationship that priests are meant to have with Our Lady, in a sense, is even closer than the relationship between a husband and his spouse. We know that the relationship between a mother and a child is often, in many respects, closer than the relationship between a husband and a wife. We priests are meant to live in a greater dependence upon Our Lady than the faithful live. During the course of your priesthood, dear Father, you will need to confide all of your worries and cares to Our Lady. You have to be more childlike to her than you have ever been before. All of your anxieties, all of the concerns about the future, your expectations about what may come, you must confide to her. You will have to continually pray to her as a little child prays to his mother. Your priesthood will not be nearly as free, fruitful as it should be unless you live this dependence on Our Lady. 
We know that she, as it were, spoke the first fiat. She expressed in the order of our redemption this initial submission to the will of God that set the whole supernatural economy into motion. And she is for us the perfect exemplar of being up for everything that God wants in one's life. And dear Father, she loves you in a very special way. And that love was even increased to a greater degree yesterday. Every time that you turn to her, she will turn to you. And she will put her fiat in your priestly heart and enable you to submit yourself completely to all that God wants for you in your priesthood and to make you the most perfect instrument of God's work in your life. Dear Father, one thing that I really like about you is that you're always up for everything. If you are up for everything that God wants for you in your priesthood through your Mass and through your closeness to Our Lady, you will be a very good priest. And this is what I wish for you on the day of your first Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.